0: What's up, you guys? Sean Ross at Managing Editor, FightfulMMA.com. It is December 16th, technically. Going to hit you with a quick recap of three different events. It was a slammed weekend, guys. Bellator was in Hawaii, UFC, in Milwaukee. The reason we're doing this on the Pro Wrestling Channel right now is because Carlos Toro is over on the MMA channel right now running a live stream of the Canelo versus Fielding fight uh, of his review rather head over there, you all can check that out. We will syndicate both of these on each channel. But uh, James Lynch will join me on Tuesday. Uh, programming note there Showdown Joe will be out of town, he'll be in Kazakhstan calling the action for Titan FC next week. No fightful MMA podcast as there are no events, and it is uh Christmas that day. So, this week on the fightful MMA podcast, we're going to talk about these events. We're going to preview the rise in events. We're going to preview UFC. It's going to be a super uh, packed episode. Going to be a lot of fun. Really excited to uh, be joined by James on Tuesday, 2 p.m. Eastern, for that one. If you haven't already, head over to our MMA unboxing channel, subscribe, do us that solid. Help your boys out as we go to or we move towards 1,000 before the new year starts. But let's get right into it. Now, for some of these, I am going to show you some gifs and Uh, Some highlights of some kind as we (laughs) talk through the results of these shows. Bellator 212. Last night, the (laughs) Bellator 212 show, headlined by Michael Chandler and Brent Premis, I had mentioned that Chris Avila was on the show, who I considered one of the worst UFC fighters of all time. Not only did he get booked, but he got a win. His first win in a long time on this Bellator prelim show. You also had Hobson Gracie picking up a big win. I did a results post on uh, that YouTube channel, but we had Hobson Gracie picking up a submission win. Not the biggest win up for the Gracies this weekend. We'll talk about that momentarily. But Taiwan Claxton, if you're going to look at anybody on this Bellator 212 prelim show, you got to look at Taiwan Claxton. He is now 4-0. He keeps knocking people dead. K.O. Meyer was the, the latest victim, so to speak. He is somebody you gotta you gotta keep your eye on, and Bellator is really really good at scouting and finding and then developing these prospects, and then then essentially fostering them into the fighters that that they want them to be. But Taiwan Claxton was a six and zero amateur. Now, granted. Four of those fights were in like, I think it was XFN or whatever, but he was facing pretty good fighters then. Timothy Lewis was 10 and two. Vic Dixit was eight and three. Uh, Devin Dorsey was four and two. He was facing some experienced guys. And to date, as a pro, he's not really fought anybody with, with that great experience level. Uh, Chris uh, Lencioni, I think, was four and one or something. And K.O. Meyer, this was his 6th or 7th fight, but it's time for him to take a little step up, but not such a big one because he just debuted 13 months ago. So keep on moving him along slowly, but maybe give him somebody who's had maybe 8, 9, 10 fights. See how he stacks up against them. You Juliana Vazquez defeating Alejandra Lara by split decision. Sam Cecilia also defeated Derek Campos via split decision. Then you got A.J. McKee. A.J. McKee, you can't call him a prospect anymore. At some point, you go ahead and you throw A.J. McKee at 145 pounds to the Wolves. And is it the Wolves? I don't know. He's 23 years old, but he's 13-0, and 12-0 in Bellator, I believe now. Undefeated in Bellator, that's for damn sure. And he was supposed to fight Pat Kerr in, uh in September, so... They they were planning on moving him up a little bit quicker. He was supposed to face Emmanuel Sanchez last year. He was supposed to face Henry Corrales in 2016. So it seems like every time he's going to face like a top-level or a higher-level guy, something ends up happening. But he, he's beat Dominic Mazzotta and Justin Lawrence and uh, John McApot. So he's beating some decent guys. It's not like he's, he's going in there and beating down Scrubs, and Curran pulled out of that fight. Not McKee. McKee is one you got to look at and say, when are they just going to give him a title shot? Can he win the title? I don't know. But this this isn't his dad. This isn't Antonio McKee snoozing his way to, to wins. He's got, I think, four or five finishes since last year. So AJ McKee continuing to get the damn thing done and doing it in dominant fashion. Javi Ayala defeated Frank Mir. Oh man. I mean, Frank Mir didn't wasn't signed to come in and compete for the Bellator heavyweight championship. That's not something that that was in the cards, so to speak. I don't think a lot of people expected Frank Mir to, to show up and take the world by storm. And now he's zero to in Bellator. He's lost four straight fights in a row. He's not doing a whole hell of a lot. He was able to drag this fight to the ground briefly. But couldn't stop Ayala and just got peppered and and put away. And is just one of those guys. He's better than given credit for. I mean, he beat Karatanov, and that's not a, It's not easy to catch Karatanov on the button. Uh he's he's got a good looking win over Rafael Butler. Uh, he was the first person to beat Butler, I believe. Uh beat Tiago Santos back in the day. So uh when when and I'm talking about the big one, not not the light heavyweight. He's got some okay wins, and for Frank Mir, at this stage in his career, he's 39. Wow, he's, it's weird to think he's not 40 yet, but he came into the UFC young when you think about it. He's gonna Mir's going to win some, and he's going to lose some, and to be honest with you, he's going to lose a lot more than he's going to win. Probably going to be the case with Ayala, too, but here, to me, it was a coin flip, but I, I had Mir winning this fight uh, going into it. Michael Chandler, Brent Premise. This went the full twenty-five, and I don't think anybody expected this to be as fun of a fight as it ended up being. Premise and Chandler went at it, and, and it was all or all Chandler, to be quite honest with you. Chandler controlled this fight. There was there was a brief moment where Premise was able to take the back, lock in a rear naked choke, but Chandler peeled the arm off, got out, and, and just handled the rest of the fight. Chandler was a guy that I don't think Bellator really expected to hold on to. And they did, and, and that's fortunate. He lost that fight due to due to injury. And Will Brooks is his kryptonite. <laughs> if I'm Bellator, I try to pick up Will Brooks from PFL. I bring him back, I welcome him back, and I'm like, all right, hey, come on. You're one of our guys. It didn't work out for you in the UFC, I know, but... You're still one of our guys. We need all the help we can get as far as name value and getting people to tune into DAZN and Paramount. I would bring him in. Now, I know that Michael Chandler is... I mean, he's a top five lightweight, I think, anywhere he goes. I think he is an amazing fighter. And you got to give it up to Brent Premis for hanging in there because I don't think anybody really pegged him as the type of guy that was going to make it five rounds with Chandler. He had tried to to put forth that that ridiculous notion that he had trained to attack the ankle of Michael Chandler and he didn't. He absolutely didn't. But you look at things and you're you're like, "Well, what what's next for Michael Chandler?" Cuz it ain't Will Brooks, it ain't a, a newly signed Will Brooks if they make that happen. It's probably a pit bull brother. And I mean, you know, I've, I've made the jokes over and over again, but <laughs> uh, Patricky is, has won like four in a row. And I don't want to see that again. D- can't, but that's the type of thing Bellator would do, right? Oh, let's, let's give him a third pit bull versus Chandler fight. Nah, man. No. Ben Henderson, he's won two in a row yamuchi is is a pretty fair bet yamuchi is uh a top level talent it's a matter of getting a guy there to win three in a row make him look like he deserves a shot but also not have him beaten by chandler once or twice already i think that bellator's exhausted their options with all these rematches that they, rematches they put forth they don't need it it uh it. It's uh, interesting because I-, I was talking to Daniel Strauss last year, I think it was, and he was just like, man, I'm ready to fight somebody different. Just somebody new. They make it, they, they The Pitbull brothers in particular are always slid in these main events and they always face the same people over and over again. Ready, ready to move on. Ready to move on. Speaking of moving on, Bellator moved on to their second event of the weekend tonight. Bellator 213. These were in Hawaii. And the reason they're in Hawaii is because they have a Lee Malay McFarlane. Now, I don't know what was up with Bellator putting Chael Sonnen, Josh Thompson, and Jay Glazer, in, and Big John McCarthy in goddamn Hawaiian shirts and making the broadcast table look like a tiki hut. Holy shit. Was that ridiculous? I get it. They really wanted to set the stage and say, we are in Hawaii. That's a big deal. And that I can appreciate. And that I like. And I like that they wanted to do that. They wanted to let everybody know where the hell they were. Hawaii. And that's how you got to do it. Because how else are people going to know if you don't throw them in a Hawaiian shirt? And I mean, you could cook up some graphics, I'm sure. You could do that. There's nothing wrong with that. I just thought that was a little bit weird. We're going to talk about the pacing of this show, and we're going to talk more about that on Tuesday. I get that there is a a major time difference there. Uh, for example, right now it is 8 p.m. in Hawaii. Bellator thought that for the viewers that they had on Paramount last night, it was a good idea to have their main event not start until 1 a.m. Eastern. That is unbelievable, it's unfathomable, and it's, it's ridiculous. It's the type of thing that, that gets you to have Peppa Pig interrupt your damn broadcast in the UK. If I am Bellator, if I am UFC, here's what I do. I run the show as briskly as possible. Not, not like run through it as fast as you possibly can, briskly. Move it along at a good pace. Don't wait around for shit. Except main event. Get your main event going at around 12 midnight. That's when the bar crowd shows up. That's 9 p.m. Pacific time. That's fine. But you're rocking these TV shows, non-pay-per-view shows? Go ahead. If they finish in an hour and a half or two hours, well, that's great. You know why? Even if it's a prelims? You have talking heads on the payroll. You have production on payroll. Have those people then break down these great fights and provide alternate commentary, additional commentary. Say, yeah, I like this. I like that. Cut to your backstage stuff. Blast on your social media. Did you miss this insane fight? Watch our team break it down. We've still got time. Talk about the implications of the fight, the importance of the fight. You don't got to draw this shit out for three, four, five hours. MLB, NBA, NFL, they're trying to think of how to speed the game up. Not MMA. They want to drag it out over six, seven hours. That is exhausting, especially for an audience that's there and you don't have anything to eat except for stale hot dogs and nachos. Don't need to do that. Do not need to do that. Bellator 213. This was uh, a fun show. Liam McGeary defeated King Moe by KO. Round three via strikes. So, (laughs) this fight was infinitely more fun than I had anticipated. I didn't think that this fight was going to be what it was. King Mo starting off the fight, chopping down Liam McGeary, the much taller Liam McGeary you have to. And Liam McGeary's had a rough go of it lately, lost three of four. But Liam McGeary fought back and he was starting to land at range and throwing these knees, knees. King Mo went for this takedown up against the cage. I'm shocked that he stayed awake. Liam McGeary threw some filthy, filthy elbows. Downward elbows to the head of uh, King Mo. Can't believe he stayed awake. Early in the third round, Liam McGeary strikes, lands a nice combo. And as King Mo is falling, McGeary throws this vicious kick. It missed by a good amount. If it would have landed, uh, that could have been one of the all time greatest KOs ever. Also, it could have done a lot of damage to both McGeary and Mo. That was thrown with some vicious intent. And these guys are friends. They're buddies. The implications of this, nothing really. It's just a couple of big Bellator names. Liam McGeary being a former champion. Uh, he had lost three out of four. He gets back in the win column. King Mo, on the other hand, loses two in a row for the first time in his career. And I don't want this to sound like a love letter to King Moe, who's about to turn 38 years old, but... You got to remember, the guy almost died at one point. He had a very bad staph infection that almost killed him. He's a former uh, strike force light heavyweight champion, but never reached the Bellator championship. After five or six years now, he's never done it. He uh, won the Rise in Heavyweight Grand Prix, which is very cool. He's competed all across multiple weights. Whether it's a light heavyweight or heavyweight, he's... He's never lost two in a row until now. And this is the first year ever that King Mo hasn't walked out of the cage a winner. Uh, now, I say that because in 2012, he walked out of the cage a winner against Lorenz Larkin, but that fight was overturned when he tested positive for drostanolone. King Mo's been around for a decade now. And a decade ago, King Mo was the 27-year-old prospect out of Sengoku. Now he is the veteran who has lost to Ryan Bader and Liam McGeary and Phil Davis as recently as 2016. He is the gatekeeper of the division. But the thing is, he's being put in there in big name fights. Satoshi Ishii isn't a big name, but Krokop and Rampage Jackson, people like that. He, I can't imagine that Bellator is going to throw him in there with a Joe Vettipo and a Dustin Jacoby these days. He's going to get decent name opponents. Liam McGeary, well, he'll, he'll move up the ladder a little bit. But that, that division is going to experience a little bit of realignment. Mo might get heavyweight fights too. I mean, he lost to Ryan Bader at heavyweight, so that's, that's a heavyweight loss to him. But other than that, he he competes pretty well there. He does pretty well. Ed Ruth defeated by Neiman Gracie via submission round four. I thought this was a sleeper for best fight of the weekend going into it because you have Ed Ruth, the wrestling specialist, undefeated, taking on Neiman Gracie, a jiu-jitsu specialist, undefeated. Neiman Gracie's win here is arguably the biggest win for Gracie in over a decade. I don't know what would be bigger. Maybe Hodgers over Anthony Smith, because Anthony Smith was on a bit of a hot streak before that, but there were no the implications weren't as big. The importance of that fight was nowhere near the importance of this fight. Neiman's facing a guy who is undefeated in the quarterfinals of a Bellator tournament and not only that he earned a title shot by doing it. Now I know some people are going to step in and say, "Oh, well, Henzo beat Frank Shamrock in 07, Frank Shamrock at the end of his road, Carlos Newton end of his road, Pat Militech end of his road." I don't buy those. I don't look at that and say, "Man, those were those were amazing wins. Those were even for their time with With Hendo Gracie being, gosh, he was, I think he was 40 during those fights. I mean, those were old-timer fights. Gracie beating, uh, or Hoist beating Shamrock in 2016? No. Beating Sakuraba in 07 when he tested positive for steroids? No. This very well may be the most important win for Gracie. Since UFC 4? I don't know. I don't know, man. That's, that's, a, that's a pretty big one. He's going to now compete for this uh, Bellator Welterweight Championship. He'll take on the winner of <clears throat> John Fitch and Roy McDonald, which is set for a quarterfinal and title match at uh, in 2019. So early on, Ed Ruth was taking down... Neiman Gracie, but Gracie was able to uh, secure a triangle choke, which uh, Ed Ruth then stacked up and was able to uh, get out of, uh, apply that pressure on Neiman Gracie. And Neiman, even though the strikes weren't necessarily powerful, I was impressed at how far his striking game has come along. He was throwing. He was using his range, and he was making himself a dual threat. I think that he knew – that he wasn't going to be able to drag Ed Ruth to the ground. He was going to have to make Ed Ruth want to drag him to the ground. And that takes an awful lot to say, all right, I'm going to take this Gracie to the ground. That's a lot easier said than done. Not something that just <laughs> that just comes to you all willy-nilly, you know what I'm saying? Neiman's able to land a, a or lock on a rear naked choke at the end of or in the middle of the fourth round picks up the win you know i could do without honestly uh the the bellator tournament fights being five rounds ohio ready for some quick mental health facts let's go nearly two million ohioans live with a mental health condition in the u.s more than 50 percent of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So, why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Because I don't know that one single person said, you know what, I wasn't going to check out this Bellator 213 show, but since Ruth versus Gracie is five rounds instead of three, I will. But then again, it did let the best man win because I don't know that Neiman Gracie's winning that fight if it just goes three rounds. I think Ed Ruth might have edged out a decision. Very well could have been the case, but Neiman Gracie moves on. That is a huge, huge win. We want to talk about huge. How about how huge Bellator made Alima Leigh McFarlane look? You know, she had to feel a lot of pressure. Back, Not, not just this show. The back-to-back weekend of shows essentially put on her shoulders because she is the Hawaiian main eventing the Hawaii set of shows. And they they brought out the big guns for her. They treated this like it was a big deal. Essentially, DAZN is their pay-per-view platform, and she main evented their show on there. Against a UFC veteran, a much bigger Valerie Letourneau at that. They had the great dancing entrance. She is, and first off, Lane McFarlane is amazing. What she does for, for the indigenous people of Hawaii, and sets up scholarships, all kinds of great stuff. Like she is going to be a superstar in that area. And MMA hasn't really went to Hawaii because of the obscene taxes that are associated with going there. But man, the way that they made this feel for Alima Lay McFarlane, and I'm going to show you guys some of what I can show you about this this fight. You have just a crowd going nuts. Alima Lay is able to close the distance and drag Laterno down, and that's that's not easy to do either because that Alima Lay had an awful lot of ground to cover. They they had a lot going on there. Here's the entrance that. They uh, put on for Alima and she looked like a star. She was treated like a star. Bellator went the extra mile to make this seem special. And then when Alima Lay was able to lock on that triangle and threw those filthy elbows, and Laterno had to say, "No moss, no moss." Boy, did that place just erupt! Now, when I tell you this, keep in mind, Valerie Letourneau didn't say no moss when she fought a much smaller Joanna Yanceycheck. She didn't say no moss when she got uh, went in there with Vivian Pereira. She she went about the same distance with Joanne Calderwood. Claudia Gadelia couldn't put her away. Alexis Davis couldn't put her away. Now, that being said, Roxanne did, but that was far earlier in her career. And Roxanne, maybe a little bit bigger, but maybe not. <clears throat> this was a Valerie Letourneau who came in with wins over Christina Williams and Kate Jackson. A win over Kate Jackson's a good one. Uh, McFarlane with, with just an awesome win here. I don't know what the hell's next <laughs> at flyweight for Alima Leigh McFarlane. We're going we're gonna to definitely expand on that on Tuesday on the, the Fightful MMA podcast. But you've got a star for that division. You've got a woman who can headline these shows. You're not going to see me say, when, when I talk about some of these lame duck Bellator main events, if Alima Leigh McFarlane's headlining one of them, you're not going to hear me say that's a lame duck show. I'm not going there. They made a giant leap in making her look like a big deal. And it's things like that that Bellator has been missing for so long. Yeah, you throw the Pitbull brothers on every damn show. Maybe tell us why. Let us know why. Why Why are they so important? Why are they so excited? Why do you feel the need to put them there? They can win fights? Sure. A lot of people win fights. Show me the character. Show me the personality. Do what you did For Alima Leigh McFarlane to make her look like she is the biggest thing wherever you're at. Even if she's not, make it look like she is. I'm here for the experience, damn it. Hats off to Bellator for what they did. And hey, as much as I hated the goddamn Hawaiian shirts and the patronizing Tiki Hut broadcast booth, you know what, at least it let us know where they are. Uh, As I look at things, Juliana Velasquez is is probably next in line for the uh, Bellator flyweight title. She keeps winning, so she's probably getting a title shot. UFC Milwaukee. Well, let's get into this one. We're going to talk about the main event first off. And you know what? I'll hit you all with some highlights here. Hopefully we don't get demonetized for this one as well. How about Al Quinta ending the UFC on Fox era, kind of? By defeating Kevin Lee. Let's take a look at this, guys. So, first off, (laughs) we'll go up to the top soon enough. But early on, Kevin Lee was able to impose his strength. Look at this mauling of a takedown. That's grown man strength from a guy who doesn't have it all yet. He's still a young man. He's still like 26. Ally Quinta, though. At the end of the round, really got in uh Lee's face, turned it on. The story of this fight, and uh we'll we'll show you a few clips here and there, Aya Quinta striking really opened things up for him. At times Lee would would outstrike Ally Quinta, but Ally Quinta was landing the stronger shots. Ally Quinta was was uh, really putting it to Kevin Lee. And Kevin Lee, from the get-go, with the exception of that bear hug takedown, essentially, Kevin Lee looked like he was coasting through this whole fight. It wasn't until he looked for takedowns, and that was periodically. That he looked like he had any sense of urgency. There was no sense of urgency out of Kevin Lee. He walked forward into the jab and into the hooks, oftentimes circling right into it of Ally Aquinta. For all the talent that Kevin Lee has, and he has a ton, I pegged him as the next breakout star in the UFC. His striking has regressed. His game planning has regressed. His ability has regressed. You, you could give me, give me. Kevin Lee with a staff infection against Tony Ferguson over the Kevin Lee that I saw in this cage tonight. And then let me let me show you his reaction after Ally Aquinta very clearly took the took three rounds. The balls on Kevin Lee. The balls on him to react like that. I think that is indicative. That is reflective. The way that Kevin Lee acted after this fight is a perfect mirror to how he acted during the fight. His corner did not help. His corner went out there for the fifth round and instructed him to strike. My dudes, what are you doing? The man's getting peppered on the feet. Your man's is getting pummeled on the feet. He was given two to take one here and there, but then that one that he was taking got to be so powerful that he started giving one to take three, giving one to take four. It accumulated. That damage built up. You know, I've sang high praises of Kevin Lee because, man, from a personality standpoint, he's got it. You saw him dancing to the cage, but uh uh-uh, man. This was not the Kevin Lee I was talking about. The Kevin Lee... That I was talking about put the pain on Tony Ferguson, even in a losing effort, and made a believer out of me with a staff infection. Kevin Lee, I'm talking about put away Michael Chiesa in the first round, put away Francisco Trinaldo in the second, went on an insane streak as a wrestler, and forced Edson Barboza into submission, into a doctor stoppage, essentially. My bad. In April, Now, maybe it's the weight cut. I don't know what it is, but a 165-pound division isn't going to do a damn thing if Kevin Lee walks into a fight and walks into the jab of Ally Aquinta and walks into the hook of Ally Aquinta. Because I'll tell you this, and man, I've got a lot of respect for Ally Aquinta. What, you going to do that against Conor McGregor? Conor McGregor's going to snipe you, my dude. Conor McGregor is going to be far less kind. You're going to do that to Dustin Poirier? Good luck. You're going to do that to Nate Diaz? Even though Diaz has been out two years, Diaz is going to pepper you. How about Justin Gaethje? You're going to not have a sense of urgency to take down Justin Gaethje? All right, have fun getting your calf kicked out from underneath you. Even Anthony Pettis. All right, you're going to eat a spin kick to the dome at this stage. These are the guys ranked above Iaquinta. These are the guys that Kevin Lee's got a got an angle to face now. James Vick, James Vick will take you down if you don't take him down. He's a rangy dude. Alexander Hernandez can put people to sleep. Good luck with that. And what happens if you move up? You move to you move into one seventy. You're probably not out wrestling Colby Covington or Kamara Usman. You're probably not closing the range of Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. I think Kevin Lee could beat Rafael Dos Anjos. I, I really do. I think he could probably beat Robbie Lawler as long as he doesn't walk into his jab, walk into his hook. I don't know. I think a 165-pound division is needed, but there was nothing, nothing that Kevin Lee showed me tonight that made, that made that reinforced the praises that I had sang about him for the year prior after the performance against Tony Ferguson. Not one. Ally Quinta is the most badass real estate agent on the planet. He went five rounds with Habib Nurmagomedov earlier this year on no notice and a year layoff. I mean, the guy never fights. He took a two-year break, then a year break, and then an eight-month break, but he's he's got to get a big title fight. Or not a big title fight. He's got to get a big fight. Poirier would be good. I like that. I wouldn't mind to see him against uh, Barboza either. Speaking of Barboza, hey, pro wrestling fans, if you ever wonder what I mean when I tell you the old pant shitter kicks, well, my friends, just tune in and watch what Edson Barboza did to Dan Hooker. A Dan Hooker who the UFC thought was going to emerge as a superstar. They 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 thought was was if he could beat Barboza, why not throw him into that upper echelon? It's bad enough when Hooker had to deal with those <laughs> leg kicks from Edson Barboza. By the way, the most fun player on EA UFC three, at least the the stand and bang mode. But then Barboza just started to spam body kicks, and I mean it. He started to spam body kicks into the <laughs> into the next round. And it got uncomfortable. Finally, in the third round, a stop was called to the action when there was this absurd combo of punches. I'm, Or not punches. Of knees, of kicks, of punches, of anything. Edson Barboza saw a, an opening and really zeroed in on it. As bad and horrible as Kevin Lee's game plan was off of a win over Edson Barboza, Edson Barboza's game plan coming off a loss to Kevin Lee was masterful. It was perfect. He played to his strengths and to the weaknesses that many didn't even know that Dan Hooker had. After the fight, Barboza says that he's back. And he, he has to, he's tied for fourth most wins in lightweight history. And I got to put him in my top three ever as fun to watch. I'm putting him up there, man. I love watching Edson Barboza fight. Fewer things make me happier in a combat sports realm than getting to see that guy. I love a a good heavyweight MMA, or a good heavyweight uh, boxing championship fight. I love watching John Bones Jones fight because of the, the almost confusing talent, and I love watching Edson Barboza just chew through people. Just chew through people. Edson Barbosa is so likable. He revealed that his wife is pregnant and he was so happy. That, that is a great thing to see. An awesome thing to see. Charles Oliveira extended his submission record. This is exactly what we said was going to happen. Myself, Showdown Joe, James Lynch on the Fightful MMA podcast every Tuesday, 2 p.m. Eastern. Was it going to be a rear naked choke from Charles Oliveira? Was it going to be a guillotine choke from Jim Miller. It was a rear naked choke from Charles Oliveira. If you had any question, 155 is where Charles Oliveira belongs. That cutting to 145 nonsense, no thanks. Since he's moved back, he's 4-1. and 4-1, and one, his only loss is to Paul Felder, and Oliveira is... Still, still pretty young, twenty nine years old. All things considered, he's been at it for for eight solid years, and you could argue that outside of that two thousand fourteen to two thousand fifteen run where he beat Ogle, Hioki, Stevens, and Lance, that that was a very good run, and he had that freak neck injury against Holloway, and then he beat Miles Jury. So, besides two thousand fourteen and two thousand fifteen, I think this is the best run of his career, and I. I'm saying that knowing that he went 14-0 to start his career. I think that those two, these two runs mean a lot more. Beating Brooks, Guida, and Jim Miller with four performance of the nights along the way. Setting records in the UFC. I think that means more than beating nobodies in Brazil. Speaking of, Ally Quinta and Charles Oliveira won performance of the night. Joe Kim Silva and Jaron Corden won fight of the night. That was an amazing fight. Jared Gordon revealed that he tore his LCL and his knee up. Joakim Silva put him away in the third round with a KO. Worth going out of your way to see. Jack Hermanson finished off Gerald Mearshart with a guillotine choke late in the first round. That one is also worth going out of your way to see. If you want me to make a couple more recommendations, uh, Mike Rodriguez and Adam Milstead. Rodriguez, I love exciting new names at light heavyweight. He put away Adam Milstead in under three minutes with a nice knee to the body and some punches. This was fast and furious and great. Juan Adams, who you've seen on Fightful.com a couple of times, he had a WWE tryout earlier this year, beat Chris De La Rocha in uh, the third round. This was, you know, Chris De La Rocha needed to win this fight to hang around the UFC, I think. He's lost three of four. But this was a fight that Juan Adams was supposed to win, and he did. And he faced some adversity. Neither man had had a fight go this long. So they were sucking wind. They were exhausted ended a minute into the first or into the third. You don't got to watch this one, but I want to update you all on that because I've written about uh, Juan Adams in the weekly and stuff like that. Dan Ege defeated Jordan Griffin, Zach Cummings over Trevor Smith, Dracar Close over Bobby Green, Zach Ataw over Dwight Grant via decision. You had Rob Font, uh, he had predicted that his size would be too much for uh, Sergio Pettis to overcome. And it was. And the fact that the number two or three flyweight and Sergio Pettis couldn't hang with the number 10 Bantamweight, I think is as the naked gambler said on Twitter, he's a, he's a great follow by the way, go ahead and follow him. I think it's a pretty good indication of, of that flyweight division, at least at this stage. There was Mighty Mouse, Cejudo, Benavidez, and everybody else making way And Dodson. Man. Just not, not not a lot left there. Overall, I thought this was a fun weekend of fights. No fights next weekend. Wah? We've got the Fightful MMA co- podcast coming at you Tuesday. Um, so no show on Christmas. But we're going to preview the big fights on Ryzen. We're going to preview the UFC pay-per-view, Jones versus Gustafson. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about maybe maybe PFL, maybe some of that, maybe. And uh, really get you ready for that. I'll probably isolate the pred- prediction videos and give you all some content during Christmas week. But this Fox show, essentially, or it was, I say essentially a lot of my shows, mm-hmm. It was pretty much the the end of the UFC and Fox era, and we've seen a lot of bidding ado as a result. Uh, Fox will run the prelims for the UFC 232 show, but this was the last real show on their network. And this was never what they thought it would be. MMA was a tough sell. It didn't draw great ratings anymore. There was an exception a while back for the home Shevchenko fight. That was a statistical anomaly. We saw the the farewells from UFC tonight. I don't know why they're not running one ahead of a big show like 232, but UFC moves on to ESPN and ESPN plus. And what does this mean for fight pass? Well, I have informed my team that they no longer need to expense that because there's nothing on that show. That stands out to me. Like we got to cover that, uh, an Invicta show here and there. Everything's going to be on ESPN Plus and the Zone. We're going to talk about UFC 232 this weekend or this Tuesday. Make sure you guys tune in. Lots of content on Fightful.com and FightfulMMA.com. I want to thank you guys so much for joining me. You all could have uh, checked out any other post show, but you're here right now, listening to me ramble on. Thank you all so much. If you all want to support FightfulMMA.com, retweet our stories. That's the best way to do it. Help get us out there. Help put our name in front of people's faces. Thank you all so much. Hit that like. Subscribe. We're out.